What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? Hero Bread serves up 0 to 1 grams of net carbs, 5 to 11 grams of protein, and high fiber in every delicious serving. Made with natural ingredients, Hero Bread supports gut health, promotes weight management, and helps maintain blood sugar. Hero also drops other limited edition ultra-low net carb goodies like rich, flaky croissants and buttery brioche slider rolls. Head to Hero.co to shop today. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. This is a podcast from Minute Media. It's Let's ride. Time for the words that are recited before each and every game here at Dodger Stadium. Take it away, Finn. It's time for Dodger Baseball. What is going on, Dodgers fans? Thank you for listening to this week's episode of the Incline Dodgers podcast. The MLB trade deadline has come and passed. Your Los Angeles Dodgers are continuing to kick the San Francisco Giants. You know what? They're 70 and 33 on the season. We are recording on the night of the trade deadline, and there's just so much to cover today. We got Juan Soto, Josh Bell, Josh Hader going to the Padres. We got Joey Gallo and Chris Martin wearing Dodger blue. We got the legend James Outman making an impact already as a rookie. And we'll briefly touch upon the call-up of Miguel Vargas, a prospect so many Dodger fans have been touting. So that's awesome to see. But we're going to start the show off with some unfortunate news. And this hits all of us very hard. And I'm talking about the passing of Vin Scully, the GOAT. I mean, I can't think of a better announcer in all of sports history than Vince Scully was a Los Angeles Dodgers announcer for 67 years until he decided to call, call it a career in 2016. Thankfully, he got to witness the Dodgers go on to win the World Series in 2020. That includes Clayton Kershaw, of course. We're also joined by a friend of the show. You know him from KSBY. I'm talking about not the manager of the Astros. <laughs> But the better one, Dusty Baker. So I know this is going to be a tough way to pass the torch over, but I know you wanted to get some stuff off your chest. So have at it. Yeah, uh, glad to be back on the show. And, uh, you know, they, they scheduled to have me on this thing well before we had the news. But, um, you know, what, what did it, uh, I, I, I guess I'll start off by saying this. You know, I thought about this day and knew this day was going to come for a very long time, obviously. And nobody wanted to think about this. I think. It started to get a little more real um, once Tommy Lasorda passed. Of course, once Vin Scully's wife passed, um, you, you knew at some point in time that it was going to happen too, but you just didn't want to believe it was going to happen. Um, I, you know, you had mentioned uh, I work in TV. Uh, my, my whole dream growing up all stemmed from one man, and that was Vin Scully. Um, you know, I, it's hard not to be emotional, to be honest, because – uh, I would go to bed every night, um, you know, as a kid, my parents would tuck me in sharp nine o'clock PM. The Dodgers would be in like the sixth inning, the fifth inning at that time, always. And I would never actually fall asleep because all I did was listen to Vince Scully on my radio. And, and that's my memory of being a kid, to be honest, was, you know, those times I would go to sleep and, you know, he was not just the voice of summer for me. He was the voice of my, my childhood, my lifetime. And, um, you know, obviously some of the more modern day calls that we've heard from him, you know, you'll never forget the Charlie Culberson home run, um, you know, Yasiel Puig's arising. I mean, like, you'll never forget that either. But as a reporter, uh, you know, if it wasn't for Vince Scully, I can honestly tell you, I don't think this is the career path I would have gone into. It is truly because of Vin that inspired me to go this direction. He is the one that showed and taught me my biggest passion, which is, to tell the stories of those whose voices haven't been heard. And Vince Scully did that better than anybody ever in this industry. I firmly believe that. And I'm just so grateful to have grown up listening to him. It's really hard as we're recording this right now 
to really wrap the mind around the fact that he's gone. Um, and, you know, part of him isn't gone. You know, we have 94 years of him, but a lifetime of the soundtrack of baseball comes straight from him. And I just, it's going to take a long time to get over this one, uh, probably harder than anybody. And it's crazy not, you know, getting to know somebody in person, but you feel like you've known him your whole life. And, you know, one last part, because I know I can ramble about this forever, but, you know, there's a lot of memories people will have of Vince Scully. My biggest one would be on October the 1st of 2012. Uh, the Dodgers were in the running for a wild card, card spot. Um, they were facing the Giants, and it was Mark Ellis at the plate. They had a chance to tie the game. He hits a line drive. That damn Angel Pagan in center field dives and makes the, the game-winning catch to end it. The Giants obviously had first place already clinched, but the Dodgers' season was over there. And I'll never forget sitting there thinking we were so close – we were so close and there was just so much pain and anguish. And the fact of losing the Giants just really made it even worse. But hearing Vince Scully, the way that he wrapped it up just so quickly and so yet effectively, he said, that's the way this game is. You win, you lose, you celebrate, and you suffer. And I remember sitting there and thinking to myself, holy cow, that, that, is, that is what baseball does to you. Sometimes you win, and when you win, you celebrate. When you lose, you, you feel like it's the end of the world. You're suffering. And, and there was nobody that made me feel like I was being related to more than Vince Scully. It's like he was your best friend sitting next to you and just telling you, hey, it's going to be okay, but this is how it is. This just has how it goes. You lose to the Giants sometimes. You don't like it. It sometimes can feel like absolute suffering. And, you know, he just he found a way to put words uh, into a sentence that I don't think anybody could ever formulate. And uh, for that, I'm, I'm just thankful. Thank you so much, Dusty, for sharing that. That was really awesome stuff. I totally forgot about that 2012 call, but that is Vince Scully for you. And the last thing I'll say to touch on Vince Scully before I pass it over, he was the main reason that this podcast started to begin with. Very similar path of what Dusty was talking about. Growing up listening to Vin, the way he would just explain the stories of all these unique players, pulling out stories of, like, I remember... God, I wish I remember his name, but there was a Rocky player. And every time he faced the Dodgers, he would talk about his car, how he had like this <laughs> crazy colorful car. I know this is there's we could go on with Vince Scully for probably hours, but we did have a question from a listener from Shirtado741. And then this can tie into your guys' thoughts on Vince Scully. But what was your one favorite Vince Scully call? Uh, I mean, David, I'll hel start with hel you. Hello, everybody, first of all. Um, <laughs> incredibly sad day for the sports world and i don't really have a lot of words to say on it um it's just very very sad and it's you know someone you grow up listening to and i think that's the case for people who are our age and in their 40s and 50s too i mean he he's, his career spans 60 years or whatever so tons of people grew up listening to him so it's a very very sad day and and i'm just gonna go with one that's just the classic the Kirk Gibson walk-off. I mean, I wasn't alive for it, but I've heard it and I've seen it hundreds of times. And it's just a classic call. The, the, the way he set the scene and the way he finished it was just masterful. And that's, that's what, that's going to be my answer. Right, I think mine, I, I think mine is, uh, and again, I wasn't alive for this one either, obviously, but uh, the Koufax perfect game, the two and two to Harvey Keen, just that entire inning is just so beautiful. Um, just the way he sets the stage, he calls out the time he call, you know, it's just every little detail he was describing one after the other, just, just beautifully set. Um, yeah. I think uh, along the lines of what Dusty was talking about, you know, I too am in, you know, in the broadcast world and news and sports and, um, I believe Vince Scully did have a lot to do with why I went into this business and why I went and why I studied broadcasting. Um, I wrote my college essay to get into Syracuse University on Vince Scully and how I grew up idolizing him. Um, he had some of the greatest lines that we could, you know, make a list of a million of them uh, that that we can remember. Um, he just he just was everything about Dodger baseball. He's why. Uh, I fell in love with baseball. Um, he, and, and like David said, I, I, I think that's such a great point about how he just spanned the lifetimes of so many different people, anyone you could come across, you know, whether they're in their nineties or, you know, when they were maybe 
five or six years old listening to his last game in 2016. Everyone kind of grew up with Vince Scully. And so that 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 is to me the the coolest bonding experience I think any fan base or any fan can have is to know that he was the voice that was talking to all of us. And that's how we're all connected as Dodgers fans. So a really, really uh, sad day. And I thought that the sports net LA broadcast handled it really well, just beautifully done. Uh, Joe Davis and Jess Mendoza, phenomenal job. Um, and I think they, obviously there was a broadcast discussion Prior to the game, they knew something, maybe that I don't know what, when he passed, like the, the time he passed, but they definitely had enough time to make sure, you know, to produce it the way that they wanted it produced. And they did a really nice job. My favorite call is the classic. He's done it when Clayton Kershaw threw his no hitter against the Colorado Rockies and just went into silence. After that, you could hear the crowd erupting at Dodger stadium. That was his thing. Dusty, that's, I know you mentioned the 2012 one. I don't know if you had a different one or that's the one you're sticking with. The The Kershaw one is pretty dang high on my list as well there. Um, I, I'll just revert back to also just a positive one that, you know, I'll never forget too was the Culberson home run because it's not just the moment in which Culberson hit that home run that mattered. Obviously, they won the division and um, that was incredible as is. But everything that followed that too, it was like you couldn't have scripted it any better. Vince Scully speaking to the crowd afterwards. You know, he, you know, the song that he sang. I mean, he's with his wife. That's the last time publicly, I think, that we had a chance to see him and his wife together. Just everything about that. It was Hollywood. And, and I'm shocked they haven't made a movie about him yet. But I wouldn't be surprised if after this, there's a movie called Scully because it, it deserves to be a storyline that is made into a movie. He, he lived a life that, we all dream of living and, and he did it flawlessly. And so I think that that Culberson home run, that was the start of what was just a beautiful call. And then followed by the way that he also just really ended things as well, including his time in San Francisco as his final call too. The yep. one other one I want to add real quick. And I, 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 I tweeted it out. What? Never mind. Go ahead. I'll add one. If it's not the same, the four plus one game in 2006, I think what was so amazing about that is that Vin Scully, who had seen millions of games at that point, so many no hitters and perfect games, so many wild things that that half of us have never seen. You could tell in his voice that he had never seen something like this and how amazing it was that it kept happening. And after each home run, his voice and his pitch changed. Um, and, and Marlon Anderson's the fourth one was just, I rewatched it just gives me chills, you know, every time we listen to it and another drive, you know, it just was so, he was so just surprised and excited. Uh, and then of course, you know, the capper with no more, the Dodgers win at 11 to 10 and then he just shuts up and then, then you just, the no more trots around the bases and that, that, that's just so quintessential him. But yeah, that, that's, that's definitely up there for me too. Was that it's the all, one you were thinking of, David? Yeah, yeah. Oh, okay. Nailed it. Yeah, it's only fitting that Vince Scully would go out during a Dodgers Giants series where they're playing at the final ballpark that he officially called a baseball game up in San Francisco. Oracle. Moving on, it's trade deadline <laughs> talk. The first question comes from GD or GDLU Hosh on Twitter. Are the Padres a threat now? Well. They might be because what they did during this trade deadline season is quite remarkable, to be honest. As I predicted on this podcast, they landed Juan Soto, did not expect Josh Bell to tag along, but they got him to kind of an under-the-radar great addition. I know David mentioned him as a possible Dodgers target, but the good news is the Padres are going all in. They went from one of the best farm systems to now Fangraphs has them ranked dead last. They gave up Mackenzie Gore who we really have not seen a lot of yet as Dodgers fans, but we kind of expected him to be someone to maybe torture us for years. Don't have to worry now. They gave up Robert Hassel III, C.J. Abrams, James Wood, Harleen Susanna, and Luke Voigt because Eric Hosmer was initially in that package, but he didn't want to go to Washington. It was in his 10-team no-trade clause. He vetoed the trade. It held things up for probably a good half hour. So the Padres had to pivot and say, okay, well, Luke Voigt, see ya. My initial thoughts are just kind of, I respect the Padres for going all in. When you land a superstar like Juan Soto, and now you have a trio of 
Manny Machado, Juan Soto, and of course, Fernando Tatis Jr., who has not played this season. That is just quite something. I don't know where they're going to line these guys up in the order, but that three is one hell of an order. And this could be something that the Dodgers are going to have to face now for potentially the next decade. Uh, I'll leave it at that if you guys want to get in on the Juan Soto talk. But I am thankful that the Dodgers did not throw away all their farm guys to get this guy because I don't even know if they would be able to sign him long-term. The contract that the Padres are going to have to fork up is going to be over $500 million guaranteed. So I'm not going to sugarcoat this. This was a great day for the San Diego Padres, a great couple days for the San Diego Padres. They put all their chips in the middle, and finally, after completely whiffing last year, A.J. Preller got it done. Now, is this a huge gamble? Absolutely. You completely gutted your entire farm. You, you traded the top four prospects I mentioned on this podcast last week that I said should be included in the deal. Mike Rizzo did a good job with his trade for the Nationals. Probably, he probably could have got a, a tiny bit more, but I think he did good. He got the four big names. Now, for the Padres, you get Josh Hader, you get Juan Soto, you get Josh Bell as a throw-in, and you get Brandon Drury. That is a haul. They have completely changed their entire makeup of that entire team. They are a legitimate threat in this division. They are a legitimate threat in the National League, and they are a legitimate World Series contender. Now, the Dodgers still have the upper hand. They Obviously, they have a 12-game lead in the division. They have the playoff experience that the Padres do not have. The Padres are almost certainly going to have to play a three-game wild card series against either the Braves or the Mets. And, frankly, the Padres' pitching is still a bit of a question mark. After Joe Musgrove, it gets kind of iffy. For the long term, if you can lock down Soto, you have that paired with Tatis and Machado. That is his be- that is the best big three in baseball. Yes, I, I do think it is slightly better than the Dodgers' big three. And I- it's- I'm not going to sugarcoat it. I think it is. So it was a home run for the Padres for now. Now it could blow up in flames. And if it does blow up in flames, if they don't win a World Series and Juan Soto doesn't sign long term, A.J. Preller should be sent to the gulag and they have to restart that entire franchise. So right now, home run for the San Diego Padres. I'm surprised by you, David. I did not think you were going to take that route. And I did not think I was going to take this route, which is sort of the dissenting opinion, I guess you could say. The, the Padres always do a lot of really good things on paper. I remember when, I, when we talked about, you know, who won the, who won the offseason when they yep. picked up Snell and they picked up Darvish and everyone's saying, oh, they won the offseason. Well, that team ended up just absolutely crumpling towards the end and they could not withstand the rest of the, of the run there. So, yes, on paper, it looks great. Obviously, you get Juan Soto and the rest of those guys, A.J. Prellers, out of his damn mind. I don't know what he's doing, but – he and I don't even think he knows really what he's doing, but he did it. And he and and, and if you're a Padres fan, you got to love that. I mean, you got to. I mean, the fact that he's trying to uh, come at the king with the Dodgers, the fact that he's trying, which is way more than I can say for the rest of the bums in this division, you know. But he's doing it. However, I will caution everyone and say, let's just see. You know, let's see how they play. Show me. Show me that, you know, you're a serious threat. I don't think they're going to overtake the Dodgers. I think the Dodgers are a juggernaut and they have a 12-game lead. And I'm, and I'm confident in, in saying that they're going to hold that lead. Yeah. But whether or not the Dodgers face the Padres in the playoffs, the Padres got to get to the playoffs and in what shape are they going to be? I think we just have to wait and see on this one. I'm kind of in between both of you guys on this. So first of all, with David, I completely agree with you on the fact that it was a home run trade deadline. I think that the Padres, they get an A+. They do. Um, but it goes back to that whole risk factor that Jake was kind of mentioning right there. So here, here's the devil's advocate, if you will, where it could go one way or another for them. You know, a big factor is going to be, are they going to extend Juan Soto? That, that may come down the road. If you look at their spot track right now, they have about $86 million obligated through 2025. So they do have the funding technically to be able to pull that off. Uh, I'm expecting that they will. I wouldn't think they gave up all this prospect capital for a two and a half year rental, if you will, which by the way, that's still technically three postseasons that they get out of Juan Soto. That's a long time, but I do expect them to probably fork out the cash for an extension. What this does for them though, that's a knock against them. They probably don't have an awful lot of capital to really invest in other major free agents. So they're kind of strapping themselves to 
the hope that Juan Soto continues to be this Ted Williams-esque player, as well as Fernando Tatis Jr. getting out of trouble and staying healthy. Manny Machado not aging too early. They're, they're having to bank on those three things happening to be good for the long haul. Now, I'm not going to say that's not going to happen because I, I think especially this year and even more so in 2023, the Padres are going to be a scary team, okay? It's going to be harder for the Dodgers in 2023 because a full year of Juan Soto – Having a, you know, the fact that they're going to have an implication of, okay, this is how he fits into the lineup. This is how he fits into the team. They're going to have all that figured out by the end of this year. Whether or not the Padres win the World Series or not in 2022, it's not a failure. Okay, a lot of Dodgers fans are going to want to point to that. I think 2023 is probably the year the Padres are actually gunning for. But this move for Josh Hader also leads me to believe in the move, obviously, for Josh Bell and Drury that, hey, they're in it for this year, too. And that is frightening, okay? Now, here's to Jake's point. The thing that's scary is they depleted this entire farm system, which was the deepest in baseball. I personally have a little bit of bias. I'm a diehard fan of Esta Yuri Ruiz. I, like, love the makeup of this guy. I thought his prospect ranking was way too low. The Padres dished him for virtually uh, nothing. It's like kind of a throw-in, if you will, in the trade for the Brewers. I think that's going to haunt them. I think losing Hassel the third is going to haunt them. Wood was projected by many to actually possibly be their top prospect. That's I think he's going to be the best player in that trade. He, he very well could be, and that was a huge ad for the Nationals. Like, we could be talking about the Washington Nationals, I'm not joking, in like two to three years as like a playoff contender. I really do believe that. Um, more likely probably in the three-year range, but I, I think the Nationals got a great haul out of this. I, I do believe that. Um, and so that's tough for the Padres because you're basically limiting yourself here in the future. You're trying to win this year and even more so in 2023. And if you don't do that, if you know, if you don't extend Soto, that's a failure as is. But if you don't win in the next two years, I also think that's a failure more so for next year. Um, but it's just, it's really a huge gamble as you kind of mentioned there, David. And I will say this, the pitching for the Padres at the top. Okay. You have Musgrove, you have Darvish. Those two have pitched very well this season. But outside of that, it's really not deep at all in that rotation. And losing Mackenzie Gore, um, who I know had an arm injury, so that kind of took him out of the rotation initially. But th there's not a lot of depth there from the second starter down. You know, like you have Darvish inconsistent. Um, and of course, Musgrove hadn't even looked that good over the last couple weeks here. So I don't know, man. It it's so tough to say the lineup's going to be a gauntlet through that top four this year. Uh, it it's It just is. You're going to have to expect that Tatis – Soto, Machado, Bell, even Cronenworth and Profar. Profar has been hitting the lights out of the baseball. That that might be a really tough stretch for the Dodgers and any team in baseball. But the bullpen's not great. Josh Hader's struggled a little bit this year. I think there's a reason why the Brewers dished him. They got great prospect capital back. I don't know. I, I just I'm kind of indifferent right now. Um, but I do think that they are a legitimate threat to the Dodgers, not just this year, but also in 2023 and possibly beyond. Yeah, I think they're going to regret giving up Ruiz big time. I mean, he had a thousand OPS in the minors with 60 stolen bases. Huge. And, and to me, Josh Hader really does not move the needle. He's basically having an identical season to Taylor Rogers. I mean, this isn't the same lights out Hader from 2018, 2019, where he was posting an ERA in the sub ones. I mean, he, I don't think he can even pitch on back to back days or something. I think he has like well, this weird endurance fair, issue. What's well, so to be fair, Hater had that one implosion where he gave up six runs and didn't give a didn't get an out. So that kind of skyrocketed his, his ERA. He's definitely oh, better than Rogers. Twenty nineteen, Juan Soto owned him, took the lead in the wild card game. Freddie Freeman last postseason took him deep in a big spot. There are a lot of moments where the Bellinger, game is on Hate, well, yeah, that's regular season. But there are a lot of big postseason moments already where Hater has imploded. And Denilson Lamette, who was great was for the PK Padres, postseason too. Yep. PK was regular season. Yeah, PK was regular season. Yeah, Hater was untouched. But but anyways, Denilson Lamette was great for the Padres. They kind of wore him out. Great reclamation project for the Brewers, and then they got another prospect in the mix along with Taylor Rogers. I know Brewers fans are probably like, "What are we doing when we're in first place?" But they, I think it's going to work out in the long run because the prospect capital and they're basically pivoting to Rogers. They got Devin Williams now. It makes sense to me. Uh, that's really all I have to say on the Padres. They're better than where they were before the deadline. I still don't think they're a threat to the Dodgers whatsoever. To me, it boils down to the Dodgers having to take out the Mets and the Braves. You know, I, I, I just disagree. I mean, I think the Padres completely flipped the script today and, and the past couple days. I, I, I really, really do. 
Um, you know, they're historic. I'm shocked by you, David. They are historic chokers. We know that. I know, uh, but they are going to but... have to prove that that's not the case. But on paper, and I know it's just on paper, and we've said this before, it's a completely different team. I mean, you get Juan Soto, that completely changes the entire clubhouse. It changes the vibe. It changes everything. So I view them as, if not the, if not one of the top two, the biggest threat in the National League. I just want to see it. Just show me. That's I would all prefer I prefer not to see it, but but I, I hear your point. Yeah, I, I will say what scares me a little bit is the Dodgers are on a collision course right now to potentially face those Padres in the DS. Yep. If it was the NLCS, I would feel a lot better about that because the Dodgers rotation is deeper. Uh, they've got better bullpen pieces, but in a best of five series, you're talking about having to face Musgrove probably twice. And there's a chance that they throw Darvish out even twice too. So you're really limiting it to, okay, the Padres rotation as a whole, you might face Clevenger, right? You might face Mora Hone, who's obviously not that great, but he actually pitched okay in his one appearance. What about Snell? Uh, Snell scares me in the postseason. Blake Snell. (laughs) Blake Snell's got to be their number two over Darvish, in my opinion. Oh, the way Darvish is pitching this year, I would say Darvish has got to be the number two. Three, two, four ERA. Against the Dodgers. Yeah, it it is. But the whip under one, his his whip's a .97. Now, Snell does own the Dodgers, and that is probably a reason to throw him in a game three. Um, unless you do want to mix in the righty lefty righty, then, then you go that direction. Cause you're going to have a game three, no matter what, but that that's the whole point. It's like, do you, do you want to get into a matchup where you're forced to have to face a, you know, Joe Musgrove in a game five where it's all hands on deck and Josh Hader comes in for two innings. I, I don't know. I just, I don't love that. Um, it feel it's kind of the same feel the Atlanta Braves gave me a little bit where it's just, they loaded up at the right time and they caught heat too. Um, but the national league's tough, man. It is – if Dodgers fans are going to walk around and say, hey, we're still winning this World Series easily, they, they may want to hold that that sentence back a little bit because the Padres are scary, the Braves are scary. Out of that trio of them and then also the Mets, I might yeah. actually be the least scared of the Mets. I'm not. No. Scherzer and DeGrom potentially twice in a – Potentially a five, is the key word there. DeGrom came back today throwing 102, and then the Braves freed and Spencer Strider maybe twice – the NL is going to be tough no matter what it's yeah. this might be one of the deepest national leagues top top wise speaking in quite some time it's no yeah. cakewalk it is no cakewalk that's for sure the cardinals and the brewers just need to stop just <laughs> it's a four-team race man all right let's move on to what the dodgers did this deadline despite maybe some dodgers fans dismay they were actually pretty active over the last couple days they acquired chris martin a couple days ago in exchange from zach mckinstry with the chicago cubs they acquired Joey Gallo straight up for Clayton Beater, one of the Dodgers' top 15 prospects who was pitching in double-A. They also shipped out Jake Lamb to the Seattle Mariners for cash considerations. They traded Mitch White to the Toronto Blue Jays along with Alex DeJesus for Moises Brito <laughs> and Nick Frazo. And they also moved Garrett Clevenger to the Tampa Bay Rays. So, so- we'll start with the Chris Martin trade. The Dodgers needed to get a reliever. They got their guy. Chris Martin might not be the flashiest or sexiest name out there, given just the deadline movement. But they, they did got not their... get their guy. Kevin. <laughs> they got they got a guy. They, <laughs> got, their, they got a high leverage re- reliever, which is what they needed. Uh, did so... they? They got Chris... a they got a good uh, filler when it's you know they're trailing five to three maybe. I don't disagree. Know. I don't... Two nineteen ERA and twelve point one thirds innings in the postseason. In safe situations, opponents have a 653 OPS against them. That's over a 308 plate appearance sample size. And in high leverage situations, opponents are hitting 255 off Chris Martin with a 638 OPS. Now, obviously, people are probably thinking they wanted to get a closer to potentially replace Craig Kimbrell. But at the end of the day, the Dodgers were just more looking to replace Daniel Hudson. And I will note, they do have Blake Trinan coming back. So that's basically a deadline ad. And... On top of that, Bruce Argrado will be activated off the IL soon, not to mention Walker Buehler, Dustin May, and the name that David will not let me mention, but Danny Duffy is expected. No, we're not doing that, dude. That is a pretty pretty loaded pen right there. And you look at the Dodgers 40-man roster, and we'll get into some of the guys I just mentioned who they had to get rid of. 
but they had to ship guys out because they have to open up 16 man spots to get these guys back off the IL. I thought what the Dodgers did with, uh, during this trade deadline was fine. They, they didn't, I mean, the way their team is currently constructed, they're, they're a terrific team. And if they made zero moves, I still think that they would be the favorites to win the world series. So just going to start by saying that before I get into Joey Gallo, the one regret that I do have, and I know that David agrees with agrees with me here. The one regret that I do have is that they didn't get an elite higher leverage reliever. I don't think Chris Martin is that guy. And I also think that Blake Trinan is that guy. Bruce Dargrattle could be that guy, but we've got to wait to see what they're going to be like when they come back from injury. Same with Dustin May. Walker Bueller before the injury was terrible. So we need to wait and see what those guys are going to do. And I just think it, it may have been a gamble by Friedman and company to stand pat on that and not go after at least one reliever, a David Robertson, a Josh Hader. Those guys, you didn't need to break the bank to get those guys. And I well, thought Josh that, Hader, you had to. I thought that one of those guys could have been, could have been decent for us. Right, but you, you don't, it's not like a, a prospect hall that they were expecting for Pablo Lopez. Oh, by the way, why are the Marlins so damn difficult to deal with? Why are they always just freaking hoarding all their players all the time? They always do this. But anyway, I thought that they should have gone after a reliever and gotten one. That's my only regret. I really actually do like the Joey Gallo pickup. I know he's struggling in New York, but he was a cheap pickup, and they didn't have to give up much to get him. Clayton Beater not having a great year anyway. So I thought that that was a good gamble for a guy that gets on base. He's like a t- Max Muncy type. And he's, it's this kind of a reclamation project. This is kind of a guy that, you know, has a lot of pop, can get on base, can play a really good outfield. And so why not give him a shot? And I think that, you know, it was just a bad situation in New York. Not every guy is cut out to play in New York City. It's a tough place to play. He got booed mercilessly. He seemed like he was miserable there. So why not put him on the Dodgers and give him an opportunity to hit in the middle of this order? I really like that move. I think that it's a, a very, uh, you know, it's not that much of a, a much of a gamble because whatever you get out of him will be a bonus. Love Joey Gallo addition for the Dodgers. Low risk, high reward. Didn't give up anything like Jake mentioned. Prior to being traded to the Yankees, he had a 211 batting average, not sexy, but an 833 on base plus slugging with the Rangers. Back-to-back seasons, he had 40 home runs. He plays a gold glove defense, and the Dodgers were desperately looking for a left-handed bat for whatever reason. And to me, yeah, Jake Lamb was cool. We touted him. We liked him a lot. Wasn't that great with the Dodgers. I mean, he batted 239 with two home runs. Joey Gallo, to me, has the potential to have like that Eddie Rosario impact in the postseason. If he just gets going, he's going to hit a ton of bombs. Yeah, I, I agree. Uh, I liked I liked the move. It, it didn't cost anything, frankly. I mean, Beater has not been anything good. Uh, he projects as a reliever. He's got a five ERA and double A, I think. Uh, and that actually closes the book on that Star Gratterall Kenta Maeda trade because the Dodgers drafted Beater with that pick they got for Minnesota. So it ended up being uh, Gratterall and, and half a season of Joey Gallo. But I was underwhelmed. I like Jake. I, I wanted a reliever. We don't know what Tryon is going to be like when he comes back. Kimbrell is, we don't know what the hell is going on when he <laughs> takes them out. Uh, you don't know what you're going to get. It's, it's sometimes really good. And it's sometimes like, Holy shit, what are we doing? Uh, it's basically Evan Phillips in the bullpen right now. Uh, you don't know what you're going to get from Gratterall. Like I and, and Tryon, like I said, uh, Dustin may another question mark. Is he going to start? Is he going to piggyback start maybe with Heaney in the playoffs? We don't know what the roles are there. So I would have liked them to see, uh, I would have liked them to acquire a reliever like a Rysel Iglesias, somebody to just get a body in there. Maybe it works. Maybe it doesn't. You don't necessarily have to put him on the playoff roster, Uh, but it didn't cost, it didn't cost, uh, was it the Phillies who got him or the, uh, I forget who, who got Iglesias, but it was the Braves, uh, wasn't it? Braves. Yeah. The Braves. 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 Okay. So it was the Braves. They, they didn't, it didn't cost that much. They, they ate a lot of the salary to lessen the prospect hall. So, and didn't they give up Jesse Chavez? I, I think Tucker so. Davidson somehow Tucker still did. in the major yeah. leagues. So I, I don't know. And, and frankly, they traded away a possible uh, playoff reliever in Mitch white. So 
didn't get yeah, that. that. That to me was really bad. I mean, the, to, to give up starting rotation depth when you have all these injuries is, is, is just, I didn't like that. See, I disagree. I disagree with that. I, I would, I, I think Mitch white would have been a solid reliever in the playoffs. I think trading Mitch white is a vote of confidence in Ryan Pepio. If they need a guy, he, I think they basically said that's you. So I, I I'm okay with that. I just, you know, apparently the prospect they got Ryan something is some uh, super athletic uh, pitcher who can dunk a basketball and, and projects really highly. He had Tommy John, but he's come back strong. So I, I get that. I just, I didn't really see the need. The the whole Joey Gallo move was the one that puzzled me a little bit. Um, I, before I even get to that, though, I, I agree with both of you guys on the, the reliever side of things. Um, I thought Jorge uh, Garcia was going to be the guy that they would go for, the uh, the closer for the Orioles. Um, Jorge Lopez. Lopez. Or is Lopez. It, or, sorry, did I say Garcia? I thought Jorge Lopez was going to be the clo- the closer, the the target that they were going to go for. Um, the Twins didn't have to give up a heck of a lot for him. If you give a comp, uh, it would have been probably costing us like Cody Hosey or uh, Ronan Cop or something like that, a lower end, lower tier prospect to get him. Um, they gave up uh, one, you know, their 23rd ranked prospect and then a couple lower tier ones uh, in order to get him. I, I thought that that's the price that I would have been willing to pay uh, to get a pretty decent reliever like Lopez. And um, they just they didn't pull the string on that. And Martin is definitely not their guy. Uh, that one is just a rough one for me to a rough <laughs> pill for me to swallow. I thought at the very least, to be honest, I thought David Robertson was going to be a piece that they were going to go after and acquire. I saw rumors about that, that they might try and snag Robertson and Ian Happ in a deal. I was very excited about that combo because Ian Happ has had a great season so far. Um, but Joey Gallo instead, and basically it was that comp or getting Joey Gallo, and then obviously getting Martin and, and just, I don't know. I feel a little underwhelmed by it, but at the same time, I'm glad the Dodgers didn't part with any major pieces. Uh, but Joey Gallo, the way he fits in this lineup, I, I just, I don't really know. I just had this fear that I could see it all. Now he's either going to have a major home run in the playoffs, or he's going to come up in a major situation with the bases loaded and strike out on a fastball right down the pipe. It's going to be one or the other. It's just, <laughs> it's going to torture me, man. So I, I don't know. It, and I could uh... see it happening now. So my, I've, I've interviewed Joey Gallo before. Great guy. Really, really nice human being. I will tell you that um, without going too deep into details, he used to date somebody I knew at TCU. He can hit there. He can probably, he can probably hit at some point in the league. Okay. But um, I really hope the only thing he was well. hitting there, I guess. Huh? I, I sure I've seen him hit before. Oh, I haven't seen it, but I, I, I can assume he's hit before in some capacity and I hope he does it again at the playoff level for the LA Dodgers. I can only assure you that, that I will feel confident that way. Cause I've seen it done once before. Really nice dude though. He might be really good fit in the clubhouse. All right. Well, despite your false narratives that the Dodgers need a reliever, I'm about to read off to you guys, 14 pitchers that are most likely locks. And one of these guys ain't going to make the cut. Clayton Kershaw, Julio Urias, Tony Gonsolin, Andrew Heaney, Tyler Anderson, that's five. Dustin May, Walker Buehler, hopefully coming back, that's seven. Now you go to your bullpen. Craig Kimbrell, Evan Phillips, Blake Trinan, Brewstar Gradrol, Alex Vessia, Caleb Ferguson, Yancy Almonte, that's 13. Now you add Chris Martin, there's your 14th, and maybe Tommy Canely comes back. That's 15 relievers, pitchers right there. So the idea that Andrew Freeman had to trade for a high leverage guy, non-existent, he does not trade top prospect capital for relievers never has probably never will so i can live with the moves or lack thereof that andrew friedman did today and to be honest i'm giving the dodgers a b for this deadline i think they plugged in some holes joey gallo boring joey gallo even though david was bashing friedman today after praising him for years i was best team in baseball let me remind you they have 70 wins name me another team right now with 70 wins the, t- the other teams making all these moves today, they're the ones trying to catch the Dodgers. The Dodgers don't have to burn prospects for guys they don't need. I'm fine with this team rolling into October. They also have guys down in the minors like Carson Fulmer, who they could easily add up. Dellen Patances and Hansa Robles have not been sexy so far in AAA, but they are there. Maybe they get it together. The Dodgers have options here, and I'm fine with this pitching staff. I trust it. They have the best ERA in baseball. I'm not sweating one bit. Did you name David Price when you were rattling off those names? No, I did not. 
Um, so yeah, I mean, I think Ferguson is for sure going to pit going to be on there. So there might not be a need for David price. Um, which frankly, he's been really good lately keyword lately, but that is not a guy I want pitching in meaningful situations in the playoffs. It's just not, he's just not the same as what he used to be. It has disaster. It has Ryan Madsen written all over it. So and frankly, I don't, I don't think Tommy Canley's going to be back whatsoever. And I don't think Bueller's going to be back either. I think they're just kind of saying that, hoping it works out. Now, if, they, if they're willing to bring him back in a relief role, then we might be talking. But that's going to be hard to manage your, your workload as a reliever. If, you know, if you're a starter, it's, it's tough to kind of make that transition very quickly. Yeah, I, you know, it, it's so hard to still forecast exactly what direction this uh, this team's going to go once you hit the playoffs. But I will say this, um, just if you look at where this team is at right now, I, I'm curious to see how they use Dustin May. Because my guess is, and just based on the history of the Dodgers with their young pitchers, especially returning from injury, I don't expect them to extend him out. Some people are saying, and reports are saying, he'll come back as a starter Part of me believes that he's going to be one of those guys that's like an opener that goes two to three innings, and that's going to be their way of kind of stretching him out. I honestly see him in the postseason as a guy that's going to be used as more of like high leverage relief, kind of like what we saw in the playoffs back in 2020, um, mm-hmm. because you got to be careful with his arm, number one. Uh, you, you don't know exactly what that wear and tear can look like. You don't want to ruin it immediately. And knowing Dustin May's stuff, can you imagine how electric he would be out of the bullpen if you said, Dustin, you're going out there for one inning, maybe two innings, and just throw heat man and strike as many dudes out as possible with your ridiculous two-seam? I mean, he could be filthy late in the games. And um, I, I think you listed it right there. I mean, we the rotation feels almost like it's good even now to go into the postseason, even somehow without Walker Buehler. So why run the risk of starting Dustin May when you could bring him into a situation where let's say they play the Padres, okay? And, you know, you have Tatis, Soto, and Machado coming up. We've already seen Machado whiff a bunch of that two-seam of uh, Dustin May. Can you imagine if there's one reliever on the Dodgers team, if you would dictate him to be a reliever, who I would trust outside of Blake Trinan to get through the gauntlet of that lineup that includes Josh Bell as well? It's probably Dustin May, right? So I feel like he's going to be a pretty core piece to what you may see in the postseason there if he can come back healthy. As far as underrated relievers, I, I do agree. David Price is not in the picture for me. Um, it's hard to trust Canley. Uh, you know, Phil Bickford's probably the worst reliever right now in this bullpen at this time on the active roster. I can't really stand watching him. I'm curious to see what they do with Pepeo. Uh, I really do. I, I think that Pepeo may play a role. Um you know, he's shown that he's got some command issues at times, but that changeup when it's on is pretty dang great. So I don't know. There's going to be some experimenting to do here, but I think that the bullpen is going to be okay, actually, from like innings seven through nine. My question is, who's your middle relief guy going to be that you can actually go to and trust? Say Kershaw can't go deep in a game, like a guy that comes in the sixth inning. I don't feel confident in that range of middle relief because Martin doesn't play as a guy for me that I trust to keep a game within a three run range. If that makes sense. I, I agree. Just real quick before I let you guys get in I, on the Dustin May front, I, I hear what you're saying and I love the idea of it, but when a guy's coming back from Tommy John, it actually might be more of a risk to run him be. out there as a reliever. It could be with us. If you put him out there as a, as a, as a piggyback starter, you can, you know, when he's going to pitch, it's, it's a, it's a ramp up a pitch and a ramp down for three days, four days. I, I agree with that completely. And that is the, that is the knock against relief is that it's more of an inconsistent play. Uh, obviously. So you, you might be right there and that may be what they uh, are designing for him to do. So that's why I'm more curious to see what they do. It's, it's interesting. It's probably the thing I'm going to follow the most here in the second half is to see how exactly do the Dodgers manage Dustin May? What yep. pitch counts that going to look like when he comes back? How slowly are they going to weave him back? Because you know they're not speeding him up. So I'd be curious. Um, but, you know, you saw what they did with Julio back in 2020. And you, you can't help but think, man, that was probably the best part of that bullpen was Julio Arias coming in and able to lock down literally the last two to three innings of a game. That was nuts. Well, Julio, they had Kenta Maeda. All right. Well, Mitch White did come up. And to me, 
This was probably the most predictable move that the Dodgers could possibly do at the deadline. Okay, let's he's, take it easy he's here. Ross okay? Stripling 2.0 and Mitch White, no doubt about it, is a major league pitcher. He deserves to be in the big leagues. God. <laughs> Go ahead, Kevin. Play in the background. <laughs> With Mitch White, unfortunately, he was not good enough to be a Los Angeles Dodgers starter in the long run. They had their five guys already. Mitch White was rotting in AAA. Everyone knows Ryan Pepio is already better than him. That's six. And then we got Dustin May. That's potentially seven. Maybe they should have traded Mitch White for David Robertson. That would have made a lot of sense to me. Instead, they're moving him for prospects. But they had to clear guys off the 40-man roster. This was just inevitable, just given the fact of Edwin Rios is coming back. Chris Taylor is not he's, – he's on the 40-man, but he is coming back up in the major league level. Thus, why well, I think they shipped out Jake Lamb. Um, and then Dustin May, Blake Trinan, maybe Tommy Canely. And then Danny Duffy, all on the 60 No, no, no not if Danny Duffy. If we're going to Danny Duffy. They're going to bring them up. They have to D- DFA somebody. And so what, there's no better time than to sell these guys at the deadline and get prospects in return. Garrett Clevenger also had to pay the price. He now gets to reunite with Luke Rayleigh in Tampa Bay. We got to have our memorable experience, memorable experience with Clevenger a few days ago when he gave up like six runs in the ninth. So sayonara, Mr. Clevenger. So... I don't know. I mean, like we said, I feel like we've talked about this, you know, enough. I, I, I'm okay with what they did. I'm not thrilled with what they did. Like, I, I understand the logic, um, but I would have liked something more. Uh, but if you go back to 2020, they didn't do anything at that deadline. They traded Ross Stripling, and that was it pretty much. Uh, so That's true. I mean, they won the World Series that year. You know, I mean, look at their big acquisitions in the past. I mean, Darvish lost. Machado lost uh, Trey Turner and Max Scherzer lost. So the, the outlier is trading Ross Stripling and they won the world series. So clearly they like what they got. So at this point, you know, you have, they've Friedman's given you no reason to not trust him. And what an electric podcast that was when they traded Ross Stripling, we were in the middle of recording and I remember where we were when that happened. <laughs> and that was something else. We got a trade. Yep. It was thrilling. Now, I, I did not play I Will Remember You by Sarah McLaughlin for Ross Stripling. Yeah. Oh, Hardly I thought that you. was your own voice right there. That was just Thank you. Executed. Thank you. Yeah. yeah no, it was, it was yeah. actually Sarah McLaughlin, not me. <laughs> wow. Amazing. Amazing. Yeah. No, it, it's, it's definitely something that is going to be talked about, I think, for a while, because if the Dodgers win the World Series this year, People probably will not care or will not remember this trade deadline. But if the Dodgers lose and they lose to the Padres in these this postseason, everybody's going to jump back to this trade deadline. And obviously the first thing that will be brought up is, well, they didn't get Juan Soto. Well, Juan Soto is not necessarily the piece the Dodgers needed. Well, wanted, it, it right? depends. It depends on what happens, right? Exactly. It, you know what I mean? It's like if Juan Soto doesn't have a great series and the Dodgers still right. lose, you know what I mean? I was a little surprised that the Dodgers didn't go out and try and get J.D. Martinez. That was the piece that I thought they were actually going to push for a little bit. Um, a, one more good right-handed bat that can slot in the middle of the lineup, especially with the struggles Muncie's having. Um, you know, you maybe Muncie's kind of reaching out and, uh, you, you saw the home run the other day. That was, that was a good sign. Um, but I was a little surprised they didn't go for JD strictly because there's a connection between the Dodgers and JD. Um, the hitting coach for the Dodgers, Robert Van Skoyak is the yeah. reason why JD Martinez has the swing he has now. So I really thought with the availability of JD possibly being out on the market that he was going to make a stronger push to say, bring my guy back here and pair him with the, uh, you know, I mean, Chris Taylor was obviously one of the guys that uh, Vince Skoyak changed the swing up quite a bit. So I, I thought that that might've been a good fit. JD obviously has punched the Dodgers in the gut in past years as well. So you know that he can hit well at Dodger stadium. I, I was curious about that, but. Um, Is he worth a top five prospect? Right. That's the other thing. It's like they, they would have had to pay the Dodgers pat uh, Dodgers tax, uh, which unfortunately, Fortunately, a top five prospect for the Dodgers is more like a top three, top two prospect for most other teams out there. So it is a question of, was that really worth it? Um, at the end of the day, I'm glad that they didn't part with any of their top prospect capital. I'm a little disappointed that they didn't 
necessarily go out and make a move uh, parting with some of the lower tier prospect capital, considering they have so many great pieces like Cody Hosey. I honestly thought was going to be on the move here. I really did. He's kind of been trending in a downward direction. I thought maybe maximize the value that you see from him and dish him. Cause he's close to major league ready in that sense, age wise and everything. And there's no spot for him. So um, was a little surprised that they didn't try to at least maximize there. But other than that, you know, you can't go wrong with keeping Diego Cartaya. Can't go wrong with keeping, uh, you know, Bobby Miller. And then obviously Gavin Lux on top of that, not just talking prospects, but I'm glad they didn't dish Lux. That was never going to be in the cards. Uh, anybody, you know, all these teams are going to ask for Lux and May like they have for the last three, four or five years. Exactly. Uh, but that was, that's never in the cards. Greatest MLB deadline ever, in my opinion. Way too many trades to go over, but some of the other big ones that jumped off the page to me, Luis Castillo going to the Seattle Mariners, Frankie Montas going to the New York Yankees. And that's going to roll us into another question from on Twitter at dubquacker seven was Frankie Montas worth trading. Was worth, was he worth trading for in order to acquire rich Hill? I mean, the simple answer is duh. Rich Hill only went <laughs> 30 and 16 as a Dodger with a 316 ERA over 361 innings. And he was an absolute beast in the postseason. Completely owned the Red Sox, held it together against the Astros. And the common theme was Dave Roberts would always pull Rich Hill way too soon. I agree with everything you just said. You should record that and record me saying that to you, Kevin. Because <laughs> it'll never happen again. <laughs> well, one of us said Juan Soto was getting traded, and one of us said no way in hell was it happening. You were right. All right, let's I talk about. <laughs> let's talk about. You just work here, <laughs> James Outman, one of the top prospects for the Dodgers. Got the call up against the Rockies in Coors Field. First at bat, hits a home run. One of the few Dodgers to ever do that. He's currently on a seven for eight tear, batting or six for seven tear, batting in the eight hundreds. OPS well over twenty five hundred. Already has numerous extra base hits, and I think is quickly becoming a fan favorite because James Altman, someone I've been hyping up is the real deal. And I'm so glad they didn't have to trade him this deadline. Unfortunately, he probably won't be a big part of this postseason run because there's just too much depth. But in the meantime, while there's some injuries, let it keep rolling because you cannot get this guy out, man. Yeah, it's going to be tough to find him at bats, even with the injuries. I know that Justin Turner's on the IL right now, but you got Joey Gallo coming in tomorrow. Miguel Vargas. Just got called up, so you know he's going to get a lot of time at third base with Justin Turner out for a little bit. Um, it's still going to be tough for Altman to find at-bats because he is left-handed. Now, if he was right-handed, that would be an easy fix. You could platoon him, but you know, with Gallo, Bellinger, and Betts out in the outfield, there's really no spot for him at this moment. And then you also consider the fact that uh, you're, you, 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 you could put him at DH, but then you've got the log jam of uh, Max Muncy and Miguel Vargas. So it, it's going to be tough for him to get at bats, but you know, what, what a story it's been so far. I love his swing. Uh, you, it's rare. You see a very like compact swing like that from a lefty. Um, it kind of reminds me a little bit of Andre Ethier in a way. Um, but like just the short compact Barry Bonds had a swing like that. I'm not saying his swing is, is as similar, but like, those are the examples of short, compact, left-handed swings. And I think, uh, you know, Cody Bellinger could learn a thing or two from this guy in terms of adjustments, because I know that he made a lot of adjustments to his swing. On that note, take a look at Outman's swing and then put it side-by-side side with Daniel Murphy's back in his prime. Mm -hmm. Holy cow, the similarity is shocking. Uh, they kind of have the same launch angle off the ball as, I mean, I, I agree with everything you just said right there. He is compact through the zone. He is able to stay inside the ball, which is part of the reason why he gets great lift as well. Um, and, and you can just tell that he's got he, – when you see plate coverage, he's got plate coverage inside, outside the zone because his swing is so compact. I was amazed because uh, I would read about this kid quite a bit. Um, obviously, the OPS speaks for itself in the minor leagues at 915. But when you have 21 bombs – 11 steals in the minors that's always going to pop off the page for you but but to see the actual sheer athleticism and go with the fact that he really doesn't have a lot of holes in the swing uh it looks like defensively he's not going to be anything that's you know going to hurt us in fact it seems like he's only going to be a strength there he's got some speed on top of him so 
I, I think that as a depth piece at the very least, it's very helpful to have him. I do agree that the at-bats are going to be an issue. And it's part of the reason why I'm not really loving the Gallo move as much because I fear that they're going to feel like they're going to have to give Gallo at-bats when a guy like Outman may have just proved himself that he deserves more at-bats. So I, I worry about that just a little bit. Uh, we'll see how it plays. Usually these things kind of play themselves out. Um, and so kind of let time go by. But just as of trying to dissect everything that happened today um, and pairing what the Dodgers did with where Outman's at right now, I mean, at the end of the day, I just I hope he gets his chance because what a heck of a start it's been. And he's got great flow, too. Also stoked Miguel Vargas was added to the 40-man roster. Don't know how long he'll be up, but dude has proven it down in the minors in AAA. 15 home runs, 382 on base percentage, right-handed bat. So definitely some potential to fill the void of Justin Turner. We just don't know how long he's going to be out. He will he could be activated for the Twin Series, which is just a few days away, I believe. But I hope they give Vargas some at-bats because he definitely has earned the opportunity. Coming from another listener... At Checo for Teen on Twitter, what is your Mount Rushmore of Dodgers relievers? Like all time? Oh, all time. So that's four relievers. That is how many heads are on Mount Rushmore. Um, oh. I'm going to go uh, – I'm going to throw Eric Gagne up there. Yep. Um, Kenley Jansen. Yep. He's got to be up there. Um, I, know, I, know, I know my other two. Takashi Saito for me. That's a good one. Trinan's up there for you, right, David? Yeah. My, so my other two are Jeff Shaw, throwback. Jeff Shaw, wow. He was electric growing up. Uh, and Blake Trinan. Yeah. I, you know, I almost went Broxton because he was really good until he, he was bad in the playoffs. Um, but He's I mean, not Trinan, on my Rushmore. Nowhere near it. <laughs> yeah. But, but Trinan was the missing piece in 2020 he was i mean they they what they lacked in 2017 and 2018 and 2019 was a guy like trinan so he will he will be on the mount rushmore for me but yeah definitely uh kanye kenley and gagne yeah i think you guys kind of nailed all those right there um there's one that kind of comes to mind i mean eric gagne for me would be just he, he was the icon growing up but when you talk about all-time best reliever for the dodgers it kind of has to be kenley jansen um, saves leader. You talk about uh, his ERA is one of the lowest, but you got to go with a guy that also was there too. And um, Jay Howell, I think, doesn't get as much talk as he deserved about that. I think he had he had like around a hundred saves for the Dodgers. Um, but also, uh, Mike Marshall, yeah, uh, yeah. is got to be mentioned in there. He he won a he won a Cy Young with the Dodgers in 1974. He was really yeah, that'll good. do it that'll do it for you right there. Yeah. That's, I mean, there's, there's a lot that we can think about. Uh, and I think modern day we've had a lot of really elite relievers and they're probably only get going to get more elite. Takashi Saito was an interesting one to throw out there. I didn't really consider that one. And then after a longer period of time of thinking about that, I mean, he at one point was at the elite level in his game and uh, he was locked down in the ninth inning for that little stretch there of a three, three, four years. So um, you could throw him out there. I, I think the easy ones, though, have got to be Kenley and Gagne, and then it, it's up for debate. Jeff Shaw was actually a really good throw out right there. I like that one a lot. We traded Paul Canerco for him, I believe. Wasn't that right? Sounds right. Oh, then that's a DQ right. right there. Sounds really right. That's a bad <laughs> trade. That's a DQ. I think we traded Paul Canerco to the Reds for Jeff Shaw. Wasn't it the what, white? Oh, it was... No, he eventually wound up on the White Sox, okay. but I think okay. we traded him to the Reds for Jeff Shaw, if I remember correctly. And that's why you don't trade prospects for relievers right there. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's talk about some Dodgers baseball. I mean, they just steamrolled the Giants in their last game. They won 9-5. to God, the Giants are bad, dude. The Dodgers so have won bad. six consecutive games now against San Francisco. Kind of having their number, which is sexy in my book. 9-5 to victory. Tyler Anderson had a little bit of a rough patch, gave up five runs, but the Dodgers offense was electric. They torched Alex Wood. They got six off him. Mookie Betts with the three RBIs, a home run. Gavin Lux drove in two Dodgers. Cody Bellinger, RBI triple. So they went off. And um, the previous game, they also just owned Logan Webb. So that was a, a sight to be seen. So this Dodgers team is firing on all cylinders right now. And this is probably the best 
that the offense has looked all season. I mean, they're coming off a 21 and five July Freddie Freeman with an OPS over a thousand during that month and just continues to rake leads MLB and hits Trey Turner right behind him. These two haven't even missed a game yet. So that's a crazy one, two punch. And then you got Mookie Betts leading off. He's got 24 home runs now leads the team. So I know that it was mentioned earlier that the trio that the Padres have is better. I disagree. If we're talking about right now, give me the Dodgers three. Well, yeah. I mean, Tatis isn't playing. I mean, what I, my comment was assuming Tatis is healthy. I'm still taking the Dodgers, even if healthy. Freddie it's Freeman, close. Freddie Freeman is better than Tatis. Mookie Betts is still better than Juan Soto right now. Maybe not long-term, but right now Mookie Betts is the better player. And then Trey Turner is balling more than Manny Machado is. No, it's, it's, it's a coin flip. Yeah, you can't go wrong. You, you can go wrong because Tatis is hurt. You know, you know on those Instagram, you know, selections where it's like you get $1 here, $2 here, build your yeah. best lineup. That's basically what you're talking about right here with the Dodgers and the Padres top three. Uh, it is it is a coin flip. It's it, what it comes down to, and we talked about it a little earlier, is the depth side of things. The Dodgers have the edge in terms of depth. I, I would say top heavy, it's really, I mean, you're talking about two, two sets of uh, – groups of trios if you will that basically at any point in time all three can launch back to back to back jacks uh they can score in any way shape or form it's pretty scary either way but yeah dodgers are clicking on all cylinders offensively and it's good to see will smith hitting again because holy cow that was a rough little stretch that he had yeah Uh, that was that was painful to watch yeah so dodgers got two more games left with the giants then they got a big series with the Padres. It's so going to be fun. fun. That's going to be fun. That will be electrifying. Juan Soto will be wearing his Padres uniforms. Tatis is a question mark if he's able to return. Is it at he's, Petco? He's not returning for that series. Is it at Petco? No, it's in LA. Oh, nice. Ooh. Yep. That's going to be that's going to be a lot of fun. And they have the Sunday night uh, baseball matchup. So, oh. Uh, yeah, the, the only thing that sucks is then we don't get to hear Joe talk. Yeah, it's, that's um, where I was going. Yeah. yeah. Joe did a great job, by the way, tonight. Holy cow. What a what a way to handle that situation. Yeah, he was basically tasked with giving a eulogy. Yeah. Yeah. And he did it to perfection. He, he did it really well. And I saw he almost got Castellanos, too. Oh, almost. Yeah. Yeah. Like right at the beginning, yeah. the ball went to the warning track. I was like, please don't leave the park. Yeah. Please, yeah. Bellinger, catch it. <laughs> Right. Shout out to at Josh the flip on Twitter who asked us if the Dodgers should make more moves, but we kind of already answered that in pretty great depth. Uh, I think that's all I have for today. So if there's anything else you guys wanted to cover before we sign off, now is the time. I do have a short idiot of the week. Um, It's nothing crazy, but it feels appropriate. My idiot of the week today, this week is death. So what I have to say is to the Grim Reaper, fuck you. Uh, you took one of the good ones today. So you are the idiot of the week. That's all. Of the year. Yeah, it, it's it's challenging to be a Dodgers fan and, you know, sit here and think we lost Tommy and now we lose arguably the greatest figure in L.A. sports. Um, there, There's not words that can describe the emotion of this. And, you know, it's pretty bittersweet. You, you have a Dodgers team that wins the game in San Francisco you love the feeling of that, but then as they're, you know, giving their high fives, their, their victory high fives in the backdrop and a classy move, I will say for the giants on the billboard, it shows Vince Scully um, passes away and obviously born in 1927 to 2022. And, and that just hit me a different way. Um, it's probably the first time a Dodgers win didn't do enough for me to be uh, to turn my frown upside down. I, I think that, this one's going to this one's going to sting for a long time, but let's remember the great memories of Vin Man and uh, let's win for Vin. Yeah, that's what I'm looking forward to in the days uh, following this. They're getting to relive all of those memories and all those moments to be able to rewatch games uh, over and over again. Uh, we've already started to see a bunch of the clips roll in, and it's just a lot of fun to to relive some of those moments. I, I was watching the uh, the, the Yasiel Puig 
uh, highlights when he first came up. That was just so, such an electric time. And the connection between Vin Scully and Yasiel Puig was really cool. He gave him the nickname, the Wild Horse. And then just a few minutes ago, Puig put out a, a little video just basically saying how much he loved Vin Scully and how well Vinny treated him. They had a really special uh, uh, bond. And I felt like in a, in a weird way, Vin Scully was one of the only people that understood Yasiel Puig. Yeah. Um, and, and really did a, a beautiful job in covering his career. Um, and, and I love that, that those, those years are etched in Dodgers history, uh, with Vin Scully attached to it. All right, Dusty Bakers. Thank you so much for joining the incline today. Before you go, I had to ask you earlier this off season, I believe you met a certain somebody, if I'm not mistaken, so why don't you yeah, walk I did. us through what happened? Yeah, I did. It was wow, what a what a special moment. You talk about a great figure in in baseball and and in Dodgers lore, man. Um, yeah, I was named after Dusty Baker as a obviously my my dad was a diehard Dodgers fan, and you know it's crazy. I've seen Dusty Baker over the years. Uh, as a little kid, I was carried over the fence when I was four months old. Back when he was the Giants manager, saw him again when I was I think three years old when he was the Giants manager. They brought me down to the dugout. And I guess I beelined it straight to the pitcher's mound in hopes that I would throw out the first pitch. I was not the first pitch that day. So uh, <laughs> that was that. I wish I had video of that. But uh, yeah, that's what I was told happened there. Um, he's just been great to me over the years when I was looking at schools. Thank God I didn't go here. Uh, you're going to be very happy about this one, David. I was looking at Ohio State and uh, chose not to go there. But the beauty of that trip was I went to see a Reds game. And during my flight, I got a voicemail from none other than Dusty Baker. And he said, hey, man, I hope this is Dusty call it, uh, Dusty I'm talking to. Uh, this is Dusty Baker. Uh, I left you four tickets behind on plate. And he's just been that guy my entire life. And so I, I had a chance, you know, throughout this time to tell him I had a dream to work in baseball and to hopefully one day be in the dugout with him. And while obviously I was referring to playing for him, I never thought I'd actually be in the dugout with him. And that was just a really cool moment uh, as a reporter and kind of a full circle thing. You know, this is maybe the last year that I'll have a chance to see him. So uh, to be able to see a Dodgers legend, uh, even if he's wearing that Astro color that makes us all sick inside, you know, he may be the one positive that Houston actually has out there. And, and he's been a huge positive in my life. And uh, man, what a special, special person he is. And I'm just lucky enough to, to be able to have one of the many stories that people have about one of the coolest guys in the game's ever seen. Very cool. Well, thank God you didn't go to Ohio State. Disaster <laughs> that's, for that's everybody what involved. David got out of that story. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what you, you went uh, to, was Andy Dalton your quarterback? Andy Dalton was the quarterback before me. We had Trayvon Boykin, who uh, he was fun to watch. He was fun to watch until he decided punching a cop was the best decision in his life. Uh, he's he's gone kind of a poor direction since then, and so has TCU. So. We're crossing the fingers that uh, that changes for us. But yeah, man, um, it was cool to be able to uh, choose that school. But who knew that the one knock against Ohio State that I have, it, it actually led me to seeing Dusty Baker in Cincinnati. That was pretty cool. You still got Gary Patterson over there? We don't. We, okay. uh, yeah, he's with the University of Texas, the really awful guys with the, uh, mm -hmm. the horns down. So it's my dad's alma mater. Hook him. Oh, oh, God. <laughs> sick, man. That makes me sick. I can pull for Michigan, but I, I have nothing that I could say positive about the, the burnt orange. That's fair. All right. Thank you, Dodgers fans, for listening to this week's episode of the Incline Dodgers podcast. Make sure to subscribe wherever you listen to your podcast and give us a five-star rating while you're at it. Uh, final thoughts are pretty simple. Dodgers got the reliever, despite what the haters are saying. They got their bat, and they cleared some dead weight. So I wish the best to Zach McKinstry because I think you're going to do electrifying out in Chicago. So I'll miss you in Dodger blue Garrett Clevenger. I think you're going to get more opportunities in Tampa Bay and maybe become a high leverage guy there. So I salute you as well. Mitch white. You're finally going to find a home and be in a rotation permanently. So that's going to be great for your career as well. So I think Andrew Friedman did these guys a service and in return, the Dodgers are about to get rolling. This is where baseball is at its core at its most fun, August and September. Lots of games left with our rivals. So go Dodgers. <laughs>